uh, I'll introduce our, our final moderator and we'll bring in the final session. And then we'll have a couple closing remarks and then a break before the concert. So uh, for the last session, our moderator is Dr. Kenneth DeLong. Uh, he's a musicologist who has taught here at the University of Calgary for over 40 years now. Uh, and in, so it's a, a lot of uh, research and teaching experience here. And also in addition to that, he uh, is well connected to the music scene in Calgary and has been a classical music reviewer for uh, the Calgary Herald newspaper for quite a long time and has uh, developed uh, review and education relationships with the Calgary Philharmonic, the Calgary Opera, just to name a couple. So uh, to introduce our two final lecture recitals uh, that close the conference, Dr. Kenneth DeLong. Thank you all for inviting me. Um, it's nice to at least mentally go back to San Francisco because that's one of the eras of places in my life that was very important when I was the age of the graduate students who are performing here. My graduate work was in California. And I remember going to concerts at San Francisco State, which is the place that our next speaker comes from, Freya Sieberger, who's going to speak on a rather famous piece, The End of Time, the Quartet for the End of Time, and dealing with it from several different perspectives. So maybe we could welcome Freya Sieberger, please. Thanks for having me here. I'm really happy to be here at this conference. It's been very inspiring, um, having it as student facilitated. Um, the dialogue that's going on is really incredible. Um, so yeah, my name is Freya Sieberger. I'm a graduate student in music at San Francisco State University. So today, I would like to share with you the story of Olivier Messiaen's Quartet for the End of Time and my creative experiences that were shaped by a piece which offers a revolutionary example of how individuals not only negotiate and interact with the world, but can also actively reconstruct it. So today, I will discuss the historical narrative behind the quartet which is a dimension that's critical to understanding both the origin of the piece and its continuing legacy. I will also discuss Messiaen's devout Catholicism and how his faith informed the quartet. And next, I will discuss what I believe is the most crucial element, which is the premier performance of the quartet, which took place in a German prisoner of war camp during World War II. And through these topics, I will address the remarkable power of reconstruction at work in the quartet, a power that enables it to break temporal boundaries and forge a living link between all subsequent performances in that first one. That first one, it brings performers and audiences today to bear witness not only to the past, but even significantly to a truth that transcends that past in time itself. So the Quartet for the End of Time was penned during the German occupation of France during World War II. Messiaen was 31 at the time, and he ended up a prisoner of war in Stalag 8 in Silesian Germany after volunteering for the French army. Messiaen found himself imprisoned with hundreds of other prisoners, among whom he met three fellow musicians, a clarinetist, a violinist, and a cellist. So he began writing music for the three, eventually leading to the birth of the quartet. 
The horrors of Stalag 8 were staggering, they were grim, and they were accentuated by the frozen environment. And it seems absurd to imagine the camp as anything other than hellish, and the idea of creation, of creation seemingly remote. The gar a guard was rumored to have given Maceon the pencils and manuscript paper with which to compose. And in these conditions, when the struggle for mere survival would have threatened to swamp all other concerns, Maceon began composing what many scholars would note as the birth of the single most significant work that he would ever compose. And maybe it's in part due to these various circumstances that this could happen. That the strange instrumentation and the crushing circumstances may have allowed for a certain, for a creation that could not have happened otherwise. And Maceon himself said that he wrote the quartet not so much as a response to the horrors surrounding him, but rather as an escape from them. So in an early interview, the composer says, I would say that I composed this quartet in order to escape from the snow, the war, the captivity, and myself. And the greatest benefit that I gained from it was that in the midst of 300,000 prisoners, I was probably the only one who was free. So it's crucial to understand this quartet, this seminal work by Messian, as an escape into freedom. The Quartet for the End of Time is a title that beckons to Maceon's devout Catholicism. The work is inspired by a verse in the Book of Revelation that describes the end of days as the end of time. And the verse reads, There will be more time, but in the days when the seventh angel is to blow his trumpet, the most of God will be fulfilled. So it would be easy to cast the peace into an apocalyptic shadow especially in regards to the reality in which it was composed. But Maison shied away from overemphasizing the circumstances of his process and casting that darkness onto the quartet. He noted that to regard the revelation with eyes turned only to the darkness of cataclysms and catastrophes was to disregard the other aspects of the text, including the light and sub solemnity that he regarded as most crucial. In effect, to only see death that comes and not the resurrection that redeems it. In order to further highlight the contrasting transcendence of the composition, I have to talk about the premiere performance, which is a performance that has left its mark on all subsequent ones. So, on a frigid night, on January 15, 1941, in Stalag 8, a night that has been recounted so many times in articles and books that it has become legendary, May Sion and three other musicians of the quartet sat in front of an audience of prisoners and Nazi guards. And shivering and miserable and using poor instruments, the foursome began their concert. And that concert transcended the terrible circumstances of what passed for reality in the horror of war. And another reality was put in place by and in the very performance. In front of the audience of prisoners and guards, a radical inversion of power occurred. 
So it is, a, it is precisely such a radical inversion that, re, that receives classic formulation in the Magnificat, which Maison, as a devout Catholic, was certainly familiar with. The Magnificat, or Canticle of Mary, is the prayer attributed to her after the angel Gabriel announces to her that she is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And Mary's prayer, which she speaks in response to her sister Elizabeth's proclamation of Mary's blessedness among women, is this. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And this prayer attests powerfully and clearly to the unparalleled shift in power at issue in the very coming of Jesus as the Christ child, a shift that is regularly reenacted each time a liturgical act is performed. And so the premier performance is what I am calling a liturgical act. It dispelled the shadows of what passed for reality in the camp. The clear light of eternity that shines through the work made the Nazi guards themselves by no more than the fact that the performance place them as a part of the audience for the work. Bear witness to the equality with them. Of those they proclaimed and violently expressed their own supposed superiority. The performance alone instituted the very eternal reality it symbolized. So that night, Maceon became a messiah who led his flock from the darkness with bird songs and rhythms that gave the very freedom they betokened. Maceon placed bird songs very deliberately at points throughout the work. For the composer, the songs of birds represented light and glory. In composing the quartet, Maceon himself grew wings and in full song flew like a bird to the light, transcending the sorrow that surrounded him. And the escape that he effected in that way for himself in composing the work was passed on to all his fellow prisoners on the night of the premiere. And it is still passed on to countless others whenever it is performed again, at least for those who have been given the ears to hear it and use those ears to receive the gift of liberation that it brings. I've tried to show that the liberation it affects is not only an escape from imprisonment and into freedom, but also from a sham reality into a true reality. It is our job now to live and build there and to not fall back into the shadows from whence it has delivered us. On the night of its premiere, in front of an audience of both captives and captors, the tables of power and what passes for reality were turned. In that eternal moment of truth, the Nazi masters were cast down, and the prisoners themselves were raised up and set free. That night, reality itself was reconstructed, and eternity broke into time. So, I would like to perform the fifth movement of the quartet for time, and I would like to perform this in order to honor the legacy of the piece, um, and to attempt to show the very timelessness of the composition by creating a historical bridge between that first performance watched by prisoners and guards and you.